Hello, dear friends. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let us seize this day and live it to the fullest. Amen? Amen. Please join me in prayer as we approach the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, pour out upon us wisdom and understanding that being taught by you in Holy Scripture, our hearts and our minds may be open to receive all that leads to life and to holiness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, beginning at verse 19. Listen to God's word. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is a lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of a little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. The older I get, the more I yearn for simplicity. By simplicity, I mean getting back to basics, getting down to what's most important, living a life that's relatively uncomplicated, unencumbered, and free. Simplicity is living in such a way that everything is properly ordered and balanced, being free of undue worry or care. The old Shaker hymn gives expression to the joy of simplicity. It's a gift to be simple. It's a gift to be free. It's a gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we see ourselves in a way that's right, we will live in a valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained to live and to love, we will not be ashamed. To turn and to turn will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we turn round right. Oh, to live the simple life, free to love and to experience delight, where everything is in harmony as seen in God's light. It's where we ought to be, true simplicity. Those who live this way know what a gift it is. 
The trouble is our contemporary culture and our modern lifestyles conspire against us, making life anything but simple and anything but free. The fact is nothing so complicates and fractures and fragments our lives more than the spirit of covetousness that breeds in us an unhealthy attachment to things. We crave things we neither need nor enjoy. And as someone has said, we buy things we do not want to impress people we do not like. The fact is all of this buying and accumulating leads to way too much stuff. And all that stuff leads to bondage. Think for a moment about our preoccupation with stuff. We hear about it, read about it, go try it out, buy it, insure it, secure it, compare it to other people's stuff, and stuff piles up like crazy. As we shop online or in store, stuff so fills our closets and garages that we have to buy a bigger house or storage shed. For some, a house is nothing more than a storage shed with a roof on it. And then when our house no longer suffices as a storage shed, we rent spaces in the nearest storage unit. Have you noticed that storage unit buildings are popping up everywhere? It seems that there's a demonic power that can attach to our stuff. The Bible says that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Nations go to war to get more stuff. People kill, rob, steal, extort, and cheat to get more stuff. People even work themselves to death getting more stuff. We become stuffaholics who can't get enough stuff. And it's enslaving. It's complicating. It's cluttering. It's as if our possessions have possessed us. One of the greatest movies ever made is Citizen Kane. The main character, Charles Foster Kane, played by Orson Welles, is a newspaper tycoon who goes nuts accumulating a mountain of stuff, literally. He builds a personal estate called Xanadu as a testimony to his own wealth and power. A newsreel at the beginning of the film describes Xanadu as the world's largest private estate, cost no man can say. The newsreel goes on in pompous fashion. Here on the deserts of the Gulf Coast, a private mountain was commissioned and successfully built. 100,000 trees, 20,000 tons of marble are the ingredients of Xanadu's mountain. Contents of Xanadu's palace, paintings, pictures, statues, the very stones of many another palace, a collection of everything so big it can never be cataloged or appraised, enough for 10 museums, the loot of the world. Xanadu's livestock, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, the beast of the field and jungle, two of each, the biggest private zoo since Noah. Like the pharaohs, Xanadu's landlord leaves many stones to mark his grave. Since the pyramid, Xanadu is the costliest monument a man has built to himself. The estate also boasts a championship-quality golf course and a Venetian-style canal with gondolas. The extensive zoo and aquarium are stocked with a menagerie of animals, including monkeys, horses, giraffes, birds, octopuses, elephants, and donkeys. The estate is enclosed by a metal partition that is entered through a gateway with a giant letter K written above it. Central to the estate is Xanadu proper, a castle-like mansion that served as Cain's home and repository for his enormous collection of antiquities and objets d'art. Xanadu has at least a few dozen butlers and maidservants, and so on and on. In 1941, when the film was made, the audience would immediately have thought of William Randolph Hearst, the, the newspaper magnate, 
and his San Simeon estate in California. Well, in the movie, Charles Foster Kane is a tragic figure for his private mountain estate effectively becomes his prison. And he dies alone and empty despite piles of stuff all around him. The movie is all about the complicating and debilitating effects of stuff and the drive to get more stuff. And in the end, it's about Kane's own longing for the simplicity of his childhood that was stolen from him, captured by the last word on his dying lips, Rosebud. There's a little bit of Charles Foster Kane in all of us, thinking that somehow a lifetime of piling up stuff will make us happy and secure and free. But it's all a lie. In fact, the more stuff we have, the less free we become because we have to worry about it. Now, I know that there are some very wealthy folks or folks that have won the lottery who have gone out and bought five houses in different parts of the world. But why would you want to have to worry about five different houses? I know, I know you could appoint property managers to watch over your houses in your absence, but why then would you want to have to worry about the managers? Scripture again and again points to the dangers of wealth and piling up riches because it can complicate life so. It can absolutely take over our life, robbing us of true joy and freedom. Jesus is very clear. He said, no servant can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus knew that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, which is why he commanded his followers, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Take heed and beware of all covetousness, for a person's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. Jesus gives you and me the key to living a life of true simplicity. He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things, food, drink, clothes, will be given to you as well. So don't worry. Look at the birds of the air. The Lord takes care of them. And look how free they are. Isn't he going to take care of you? Jesus is saying to you and to me that if we want to experience the joy of simplicity, a life that is properly focused, balanced, harmonious, a life that is unencumbered and free, then we have to get our inner house in order. We have to put God and his rule over our lives first. We're to put him at the center of our thoughts, our attention, our hearts. If you and I seek to please him, if we seek above all to live his way and not our way, seeking his righteousness, life will find its proper balance and order. Live in harmony with God and you will feel harmonious in other parts of your life. The important thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing absolutely cannot be stuff. It has to be God. Simplicity begins with an inward focus and unity. It means to live out of the divine center. And if we do that, then we can experience outward simplicity. If our inner house is in order, our need for status and position and power won't have the same attraction. No longer will we feel like we have to show off our stuff to prove that we are important people. We will not be overly concerned to guard our personal treasury. In fact, if we put our trust in God and his ability to provide for us, our money and our goods will become available to bless others. We'll learn that we can actually live quite profoundly and joyfully without masses of things. We will experience freedom from anxiety, true simplicity. Harmony in the heart, 
leads to harmony of outward life. Richard Foster, who has written much on this subject, offers some practical suggestions to, uh, to cultivate the spirit of true simplicity. And, and here are six tips. I think they're helpful. First, he says, buy things for their usefulness rather than for their status. They should be bought for their utility rather than for prestige. Now, it's not wrong to have nice things and to insist on good quality, but we have to ask ourselves if we always need to have the top of the line model in order to impress others. Foster suggests that we buy, not buy more house than we need. And when it comes to clothes, do we really need the designer label? And along the same lines, we would do well to use things until they wear out. Do we really need the latest and the greatest, even if the old thing is working perfectly fine for us? Second, develop a habit of giving things away so that if we find that we're becoming too attached to some possession, we should consider giving it to someone who, who needs it. Deaccumulate. Masses of things that are not needed, as I say, just complicate life. More of us could get rid of half of our possessions without any serious sacrifice. Now, I have to admit that I struggle with this, for I am something of a pack rat. I have trouble getting rid of things because I tend to attach some precious memory or you know, a sentimental value to everything. Why do I keep it? But I do. I mean, it's crazy, really. And at the same time, there is no greater feeling than going to the dump and being free of a lot of junk. So I am a walking contradiction. I have a longing to deaccumulate, and yet I get too attached. I have to learn not to hold on to things too tightly. I would do well to let go, as hard as it is, to let go for my own spiritual health. John Orberg suggests that many of us could use a closet exorcist, someone who will go through our stuff, in our absence, of course, and get rid of everything not really needed. Deaccumulate, simplify, even if it hurts. Third, learn to enjoy things without owning them. Owning things is an obsession in our culture. If we own it, we feel like we can control it. And if we, can, if we control it, we think it will give us more pleasure. But that's an illusion. Lots of things in life can be enjoyed without possessing or controlling them. We can enjoy a beach without owning a piece of it. We can enjoy public parks and libraries and share and borrow things. And besides, we don't really own anything. God does. Fourth, says Foster, develop a deeper appreciation for creation. Enjoy the beauty around, around. Admire the birds and the flowers, the mountains and the trees. Simplicity has to do with approaching the gift of life itself, or appreciating the gift of life itself and what we have all around us. And it's free for our, enjoy, our enjoyment. It really is true that the finest things in life are free. Fifth, avoid debt like the plague. Buying things on credit can be dangerous if you can't control yourself. Uh, to, to be saddled with debt is to be in bondage. Buy now, pay later schemes are a trap that's darn hard to get out of. And finally, and most importantly, don't let anything distract you from your main goal, to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. Putting God first, seeking his rule over your life, living life his way is the way to true simplicity, is to live free,
as God intended. In the words of the old hymn, it's to come down where we ought to be. And when we see ourselves in a way that's right, we will live in a valley of love and delight. So may it be. Amen.